Hello everyone, welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. No edition of the pod last week, so we've got lots to catch up on. And there's been plenty of reaction to our interview with Simon Dukes, which we released in full last week as part of our In Conversation With series. Just some of the comments that we got on Twitter. Uh, First comment, good straight talking from Simon. Let's hope NHS England and the DH are listening. Uh, Another comment, impressive, um, but we need to see results. The sector is broken. And a third comment, yes, very good, but where's the news of flu funding? And yeah, the flu vaccination service, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, My interview with Simon was conducted before the launch of the service. In fact, the day before the service spec came out, actually. But as we record this pod today, Thursday the 10th, there's still no news on funding for the service, which is extraordinary when you think about it. Pharmacists are effectively providing the service on account for the government, which has commissioned it on tick. Now, is this an example of PSNC not acting as the rolling over committee in Simon's immortal words, which is my favourite quote of the year so far. Or the government effectively saying, well, you've started providing the service, now we'll reach an agreement on funding in our own good time, and PSNC will have to accept whatever's offered regardless. Doesn't seem a great incentive for the government to reach a deal uh, to me, but anyway, slightly strange negotiating tactics. But we await news, and PSNC promises there will be an announcement on this soon. The other story that's generated a load of reaction is virtual healthcare, specifically the impact on pharmacy of GPs closing their doors to most face-to-face appointments. Now, we've talked about this a lot on the pod recently, and feelings are running high. It's clearly an emotive subject. Arthur, you've been following this story for us and talking to a lot of pharmacists. Indeed, we ran a a survey on the subject on the weekend and, well, some of the findings were staggering. What kind of things were pharmacists telling you, Arthur? Indeed, yes, we surveyed pharmacists over the weekend and, I mean, the the, the findings were very decisive. Um, 82% said they're still dealing with, like, significantly higher workload as a result of the the closed-door policy. I think 90% said they're spending a lot more time on uh, helping patients get their repeat prescriptions. And also, a big problem is um, pharmacists being asked to treat or diagnose conditions that are outside their competence. Um, 82% again said that they'd had patients come to them for conditions that they're not in a position to treat or or manage. Um, Stuff like patients approaching pharmacists for breast examinations, or ask them to uh, to analyze stool samples. Quite, quite, you know, odd, some odd stuff, and all because they are patients are so frustrated at not being able to. I mean, a see a GP in person, but a lot of pharmacists are saying that the, uh, patients can't even get a virtual consultation. It seems to be as difficult to get a virtual consultation as it was to get a face to face. You know, in, in the past. I mean, these are just some of the quotes we had from pharmacists. Uh, community pharmacists view the GP approach to patient care during this pandemic as cowardly. The fact they got away with closing their doors and running away from their responsibilities is a national disgrace. So very strong. 
Again, um, GPs seem to have abandoned their duty of care to patients. I do not think it is acceptable that they have shut their doors for the foreseeable. They should have opened up long ago with more safety measures in place. Now, that's just, you know, a taste of what pharmacists said. And if you think that, you know, Matt Hancock wants this to become the norm all GP, or the vast majority of GP consultations are going to be virtual, there is a lot to be worked through to make it work for, A, you know, patients, the most important thing, but B, everyone else in primary care. I mean, it, it can't just be everyone else picking up the, the, the work from, from GPs. And I'm sure, I'm sure GPs don't want this as well. Yeah, it, some of those those comments were, were extraordinary. So it, it seems to be, there are two issues here, aren't there? there there's an access issue in that the patients aren't able to get to the GP practice, like you say. Um, but also like there's a, a, a patient safety issue as well. Um, and pharmacists having to, to deal with this unpaid for, unfunded and unplanned work. It, it seems to be causing so many problems on the ground. I mean, Neil, you, you had a, an exchange or two on Twitter about this. I mean, pharmacists are feeling really strongly about this, aren't they? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I've got to admit, I'll play devil, devil's advocate here. I mean, and some of the comments Arthur read out, particularly the first one about cowardly, the word was coward or cowardly. Yeah. I, I don't agree, and, and I, I'm quite disappointed. I mean, I, I, you've got to look at it from GP's perspective as well here. I mean, you know, you know, if I was a GP, particularly if I was a GP of... Asian or Indian ethnic back minority background, um, I would be very, very um, reluctant to, to be doing face-to-face -face consultations right now. I, I, I don't blame GPs for doing virtual online consultations, consultations at all. Completely understand why they're doing it, and I don't. I don't think it helps pharmacy to sort of point the finger of a point the finger of blame at general practice. I, it doesn't. It's not doing any good at all to to to, to blame GPs. Um, there were two issues that came out of uh, the story, particularly. Uh, Quite, quite powerful issues. They're not new issues. They're quite. They've been around for quite a number of years. One is doing things for free. Pharmacy uh, having to do things. We all know that pharmacies shouldn't be doing things for free. Um, if GPs are doing online consultations, and as a result of that, all this work is being shoved towards pharmacy, and they having to do it without outside of their contract. That's that's something the PSNC should be jumping all over. That's not general practice's fault. That's not GPs' fault. It just doesn't help the situation for just sort of have a go at GPs. The second, sorry, I was just going to say the second point that that came out of the story, which was an, another uh, quite familiar issue, is you know doing things outside of their competency. Um, now, without wanting to sort of uh, stoke the fires here, I would probably say that you know if a pharmacist has uh, somebody coming to the mask to, to diagnose or do something they're not trained to do. The common sense thing for a pharmacist to do, and I know they're under a lot of pressure, it's not always easy to, to sort of always think straight, but the common sense, sense thing to do would be to refer them back to the GP, whether it's, whether it's an online, in an online fashion or a face, you, you, you can't well, do Well, they the do, job. but they would do. They would do yeah, that, exactly. wouldn't they? So that, exactly, the, but, yeah. but then you run into the same problem about pharma, as pharmacists save as, uh, as patients in that regard. You mm. can't get to the, the GP, it seems, yeah. to, to, for that person to access no, exactly. the system. Yeah. But the, the whole point is it comes back to, you know, if, you, if, if, if you're asked to do something outside of your competency as a pharmacist, you're not going to do it, are you? You're not no. going to try and do it. So therefore, it, it's self-defeating. So you, you, yeah. all you can do is, is refer back. Yeah. So, I cut across you there, Arthur. Sorry. Sorry, Arthur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I guess the issue is, you know, 
okay, yeah, maybe like obviously GP staff shouldn't be, you know, exposed to, to COVID, but why should other people in primary care? And the issue is that there's no equity across the system. Like immediately in March, you know, the drawbridge went down and like GP staff in there, you know, ivory tower, if you want to call it that. Mm. And pharmacies forgotten about i mean like which is the, the classic the classic dynamic from nhs england the government pharmacies are kind of the you know yeah like poor like red-headed stepchild or whatever yeah, absolutely. Yeah. but um i yeah I, th- I think i think i think that's the issue is that is that there's no equity across the system no, no i totally agree with that absolutely particularly with the you know we've all seen how badly pharmacies been treated particularly with the ppe the lack of quality people we know that's that's been something that's been out of pharmacies hands but i just don't think it helps pharmacies cause to sort of start pointing the finger at general practice and saying, that's I'm not sure they are, no. consultations. And I'm, not, I'm not sure that story was about no. pharmacists. Well, I'm only going on the comments that were made, you know, that the cowardly, some of the comments were very strong. But, yeah. I'm not sure, yeah, I'm not sure that, well, yeah, that, that, was, a, yeah, that was a strong comment, the cowardly yeah. one, yeah, fair point. But I think that the gist of that story was, was not that pharmacists are, are blaming GPs, as the fact that they're dealing with the consequences of GPs having this, yeah. This closed door policy. So I think it was more born out of frustration. Now, I mean, the, the, the wider problem, Rob, you, I, I'll come to you with this, seems to be that, and you touched upon this in the last pod, if this isn't plugged into the system, um, it's not planned and it's not integrated, therefore it's not working. Um, is, that what, uh, is that what you think? Yeah, and it's a red letter day because I'm going to agree with Neil mostly. Um, I, I would say, though, I think that when people get um, have an opportunity to write, to respond, I guess, anonymously to a survey, they're likely to say exactly what it is they feel. And I think that some of those comments, to me, are born out of sheer frustration that, um, you know, a lot of stuff has come pharmacy's way that they weren't expecting, that was unplanned, uh, that nobody really thought through. And and I think that's uh, that's then a reflex, reflection in how the um, how the uh, the comments have been made. I, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think one of the challenges here, and it's a, you know, I sound like a crap record when I start talking about this. Um, the um, the NHS long-term plan published in January 2019 uh, said as a, has as a priority area, acute services will reduce up to a third of face-to-face consultations um, to improve convenience for patients. I mean, reduce, that's an odd one. I'm reading it out of the... Uh, the NPA report, which hopefully we're going to talk a little bit about later. Um, but essentially, the, the the move of patients online um, to face to um, yeah reduce by a third face to face consultations. That's right. So move those consultations online is one of the directions of travel of the long term plan. And I think that if if we were really focused on exactly the way the system was going, then we might have thought thought about some potential unintended consequences of what happens when that happens. Of course, the pandemic, you know, just accelerates everything and, and um, multiplies the impact of it on on, on pharmacy. Uh, but, you know, this there's a kind of shift here of, of the NHS going to more digital. And it's just another instance, you know, brought into sharp relief by the pandemic of pharmacy being a little bit behind the curve on, on how things are likely to turn out for me. Yes, I, I, I agree. I'm not quite sure what what pharmacy can do though and certainly from the, the the height of the pandemic when they were the only kind of face-to-face access points and now that's continued as we kind of move through the phases of the pandemic i'm not sure really what what pharmacy could have done to prepare but i do know and the frustration from our readers is that they're having to 
to pick at the pieces on the ground, which is causing them uh, a great deal of, of, of stress and angst and um, unpaid work as well. And absolutely, yeah. And, and I think, you know, as we saw recently with the um, PSNC report, the audit they carried out on, you know, capturing the data. And it's so important to do it. The message that came out of that report was you need to do more. It's all very well, one million consultations a week, whatever it was. The message was you need to do more to capture that data. And pharmacists, pharmacy generally, community pharmacy, hasn't been good down the years at auditing and capturing that. It's now become even more important. With anything we've learned over the, as a result of the COVID pandemic, what's become really important is to actually do that now because all this extra work that's being thrusted onto pharmacies, unpaid work, capture it. Capture that data. Give it to the PSNC. This is the kind of stuff that pharmacies need to be doing. Give the PSNC the armory to go in with, into their talks with. Don't point the finger at GPs. Some of the, I'm going back to the comments again. Let's focus on channel the energies in, in, in the right way. Yeah, well, I think we, we'd all agree with that, Neil. And certainly that the PSNC audit did generate a lot of responses that, that PSNC will, will use in its negotiations. So um, that's very useful and, and you know, well done for all the contractors who took part in that. So, well, this, this virtual healthcare story is is going to run and run. Uh, Arthur, you're going to be following up on it this week. It's uh, attracted the interest of the national media as well. So we let you know um, if anything develops there. So let's do good week, bad week. Or good fortnight, bad fortnight, I suppose. Um, let's start with the bad. Rob, who's in the Daracot doghouse? Yeah, thanks, Richard. I was I was really depressed to see the, um, the the story popping up again about general practice warning their patients about where they get their flu vaccinations from. I thought we were past all this. You know, we've had, was it five or six years now of community pharmacies nationally doing flu vaccinations and to see this story appear yet again is just so depressing. You know, it needs to be stamped on if it occurs by the NHS uh, let's not forget this year there's going to be even more people in the in the zone for getting a flu jab. And if we were consistently as a nation hitting the targets for flu vaccinations, then the GPs might have a point. But all this nonsense about, you know, you're taking money away from general practice. Well, let's just see primary care increasingly now as more of a team game. Uh, flu vaccination is a great opportunity for GPs and community pharmacists locally to talk about getting populations vaccinated. It should be a subject of positive discussion and not something that annoys people and starts to make patients doubt their, the health professionals that are prov providing services to them. So, you know, red card to them, basically, if they've started this nonsense up again. Yeah, really disappointing to see those those posters going up. I've got one near where I live, actually, and like you say, it, it, this is we, we're supposed to be pursuing a team approach. Here. The name of the game this year, above any other year, is coverage, isn't it? To get those coverage percentages up. So it's very disappointing that that GPs, some GPs, have started to get all territorial about this again. And, and you're right, it does need to be be stamped on hard, Rob. Uh, Neil, what? Who's had a bad week or a bad fortnight for you? Well, I, I, I for me, the the, the bad fortnight, uh, or bad period, yeah, full stop. Is, is pharmacies in England? Um, without wanting to sound dramatic about it, um, we saw the report um, released by the NPA, carried out by Ernst and Young, 
who, who say or who project that uh, um, three quarters of pharmacies in England will be loss making within four years. Um, pretty grim reading. By 2024, the average pharmacy will be losing £43,000 a year and many will close unless the sector gets an urgent funding boost. Um, so n not uh, happy reading. Um, I, I, it just, just reading it myself, I, I thought back to the, the famous Simon Dukes um, quote, you know, we're not the rolling over committee. Well, let, let's hope that uh, Simon Dukes can um, <laughs> get his sleeves up and, 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 um, uh, and address this. But it's not obviously not good reading. Let's hope, it, uh, let's hope the report's wrong, actually. Uh, it, it was incredibly stark, wasn't it, that that report, and you know, we're used to, you know, headlines for, for several years now about, about funding shortages in pharmacy. I mean, we, we write them every month, every week, it seems, every day. But that, that Ernst & Young report definitely painted uh, an incredibly stark picture. I mean, uh, you know, effectively, it, it's talking about the end of community pharmacy, isn't it? It is, as, yeah. As we know it. it it's not, uh, in four years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's depressing to actually think that it, the words used in the report are not that dramatic, really, because it does say that, you know, community pharmacy, we could be looking at the collapse of the community pharmacy network, which doesn't bear thinking about. Um, this, is, this report should serve as, as a, a, a massive siren to the PSNC. Let's, let's, and and go, we go back to the same old story again. Pharmacies have to audit what they do. They need to show the evidence. Let's get the funding into. The only way you can get the funding into the into the into the network is to is to give NHS England no choice but to do it. Let's get that evidence base. But if I if I was an official at the DH or NHS, in particularly the the Treasury, you know, I, I would be looking at that report. If you're not looking at that report, then then you're doing something really wrong because the the implications, uh, if that's true. Or their predictions are, are true would be mm. well catastrophic for the network. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was very very stark indeed. Arthur, who's well, beat that Arthur? <laughs> who's had a bad week? <laughs> well, that was for very you? stark reading. Yeah, who's had a bad week for you? Um, well, on the back of the conversation we've just had, I'm going to say that the that GP surgeries, a lot of GP surgeries, need to really think about the impact of the, the virtual consultation model and how it impacts patients. Um, some of the other findings that we had uh, in, in our survey were kind of, you know, cases of cancer being caught, you know, later than they should have been because symptoms weren't picked up um, remotely via virtual consultation. And, and people, you know, kind of, when they do kind of get, get to when they do get a chance to, to see the, the GP face to face, they are immediately rushed to hospital, which, you know, that's that's not how it should be. And I, I'm sure any GP would agree with that. Uh, I think there's also an issue of, um, uh, I, th I think it's sort of, sort of a perennial, perennial problem that um, pharmacists have with GP receptionists as a kind of gatekeeper. That can be a bit of a fractious relationship. And I think that's come through a lot as well during the pandemic. Um, I spoke to one pharmacist who, who said, you know, an elderly patient in her community had try, had, had tried to, to see the, she'd taken the, the tac, she'd taken a taxi to the GP surgery, but been told because she couldn't give her car details, they, they couldn't see her, which is, you know, that, that's, that's not, not a good way to, to, to work around these issues. Yeah, it is, and, and, and you know, you're not wanting to blame GPs for that, but that kind of that kind of behaviour is, you know, is unforgivable. But, but the broader point, Arthur, you, you're right, and we, we, we've talked about it already, but this is becoming a patient safety and a, and a patient care issue to me, and, and we mustn't lose sight of that, and that's something that should really concern 
uh, Matt Hancock and the government. Uh, well, talking of the government, for me, well, this was the week that COVID finally got to me. have got to be honest with the, with the government's rule of six, which sounds like a Sherlock Holmes story to me. But I'll, I'll save my rant about ministers' hypocrisy and inconsistencies and how they keep playing the blame game uh, for another day. It is brewing, don't worry. Uh, but my bad week is for the GPHC. Now, as everyone will know, this year is a revalidation light one because of COVID. Just one reflective exercise to do for those of us coming up to our registration renewal. Uh, not you, Rob. Uh, so when we got our friendly reminder from the GPHC, I thought I'd break the habit of a professional lifetime and I'd get it done and I'd get it out the way. But I couldn't. And none of us could because the My GPHC system had crashed. Again, it happens every year. It did get fixed within a day or two, but more egg on face for the GPHC. So, so come on, guys, please get your IT sorted out. Bad week for the regulator. So uh, let's cheer ourselves up uh, a bit and let's move on to, to good week. I'll kick off, shall I? Uh, for me, it's been, well, it's been a great week for Mozzyguard. It's been flying off the shelves, apparently. Now, this is all on the back of a Sky News story where it was reported uh, that the chemical found um, in the insect repellent, uh, something called citriodiol. <laughs> I should have practised saying that. Pronunciation, would you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, citriodiol, that sounded better. Well, anyway, this, this can kill the coronavirus, uh, in quote marks there, according to Ministry of Defence Research. Now, I may have missed the randomised control double-blind cl clinical trial confirming this, but it is, I guess, an example of the power of the mainstream media when it picks up on something and then how that impacts on the buying habits of the public. But it's been a godsend for those pharmacies who optimistically stocked up on several outers of the repellent pre-COVID in the hope of a hot summer and lots of exotic travel to far-off climes because they've finally been able to shift the lot. That's the result. Incidentally, we've been speaking to the Mozigard people about sponsoring the podcast. Yes, we are that craven. <coughs> Terms and conditions apply. So, Matt, if you're listening, let's talk turkey or insect repellent. You know it makes sense. So it's been a good week for Mozigard. Do you think it'll actually um, go some way to weaning Donald Trump off of detergent? Um, <laughs> yeah. I think Mozigard could be Donald Trump's new detergent, to be honest. Yeah, you do drink it, don't you, Mozigard? <laughs> you do. <laughs> I believe you bath in it. Oh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I'm injecting it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, public safety warning, you do not inject Mozigard. Get that clear. Um, Arthur, who's had a good week for you, though? Uh, it was a good week for pre-reg pharmacists in Northern Ireland, 98% oh, yes. uh, of whom passed their registration exam last month. Mm. was announced uh, recently by the Pharmaceutical Society of Northern Ireland. Um, and it's sort of a contrast to, uh, to Great Britain, where, um, where instead you have sort of provisional pharmacists who are working now and, and will take their virtual exam at some point in the future. I think in Northern Ireland it was decided that um, this it, it, it didn't comply with their reg with their regulations having the provisional pharmacist role. So so instead they had physical examinations um, spread across all socially distanced spread across three venues when I think they normally use one. But um, but like a really impressive pass rate. I think it's sort of I think the, 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 you you tend to see quite high pass rates in Northern Ireland. 
Um, but I mean, given the the circumstances they're battling now, that's you know really a great achievement. Yeah, well, well done to the the, the pre-reg pharmacists in Northern Ireland, and well done to the PSNI actually for holding a proper uh, registration exam as well. So uh, yeah, good news over there. Neil, who's had a good week for you? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stun you, Richard. Stun me, Neil. I, I'm, I'm I'm gonna break the habit of a lifetime. Yeah. And like, my good week goes to a, a Tory MP. Believe it or not. Well. Um, <laughs> this is, this is, this is I not, don't believe it. Don't he's you? not in the cabinet, which is obviously obviously. Um, Nigel Mills, oh, um, yeah. the Tory MP, uh, who uh, um, this is following on from what Rob was talking about earlier about the posters going up. Well, he's um, been very critical of GPs doing doing this, uh, encouraging people to get their flu jabs at the surgery rather than the pharmacy. Um, and good for him. He, uh, that's not a particularly constructive way of working at a time when we're trying to get the health system to work together. He said, and I think we'd all agree with that. Um, so it's not a new issue. This has been going, as we all know, for, for quite, a, quite a few years. Um, we've heard stories of GPs trying to dissuade people from going to the uh, pharmacy. Um, I, I just can't wait to see Mr Mills's uh, angry letter to the Royal College of General pa- Practitioners um, and maybe the British Medical Association defending pharmacy to the hilt on this. I can't wait to see him put words into action, basically. Yeah, and uh, we talked to we talked to him, didn't we, with a um, for a news story this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, it was a very interesting intervention, very pro pharmacy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and he says he's going to speak to Matt Hancock about it. So it'd be interesting to see if that you know leads to change some sort of change in policy from the DH. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope so. Uh, Rob, who's had a good week for you? Well, I'm going to follow up uh, Neil's story earlier and say because obviously the corollary of GPs having um, a community pharmacy having a bad week, potentially, with this MPA report, is that the MPA had a good week. And credit where credit's due, their report, Impacts of Current Funding, Policy and Economic Environment on Independent Pharmacy in England, is is an extremely good, detailed read. Um, You know, I think it it definitely bears uh, some time spent reading it. I think it's detailed. It's got lots of data in it. Um, it has some uh, very important uh, recommendations. Uh, summary is very good. I, I think there's a little bit of the old uh, anti-automation uh, bits in there, but let's not let's gloss over that. But it's it's very well put together, and um, I hope that it uh, leads to further discussion about what some solutions might be to some of these some of these challenges. I particularly like the fact that it's that it um, references extensively the long-term plan and the English health system and uh, sets out in some detail some of the consequences from the plan being implemented on community pharmacy. Um, and I guess what should happen now is that um, some of those things should be taken a little bit more seriously than I would say they've been taken in the past, because as we've already talked about, some of those things are now uh, coming through. and. COVID and the impact of COVID on primary care has accelerated those. I'd also like to congratulate the MPA on on, uh, ending up with a document which is extensively referenced. Um, So if you want to know the background to lots of these things, then there's a full set of references in there, which is also important and not something that pharmacy does often enough. Uh, References, you know, where it's got its information from and... um, why some of the conclusions have been drawn. So I think it's a very important document 
Um, I haven't uh, studied it in as much detail as I was shown because I was off last week, but I'm going to uh, read the whole thing through. And um, so in summary, congratulations to the MPA for producing something that is uh, very valuable, very timely and um, well worth a read. So let's do any other business. And um, the depressing issue of the day, actually, despite what we've been talking about, and everybody wants to know, um, the state of play with Rob's ironing. Um, Rob, uh, <laughs> can you confirm that the Darko ironing is, is, is up to scratch and up to date this week, please? Absolutely, Richard. I can completely confirm that we're up to date. In fact, I did show you a little bit earlier. I've even we've even still got it hanging up behind me, just so that just to prove. Although that is not the ironing from two weeks ago, that is more recent ironing. Good. Well, it's it, it's immaculately arranged. So, uh, well, thank goodness. I I I put it on the hangers. That's that's my contribution. Well, that's very impressive, and uh, yeah, we can we can we can rest easy because it was it was really bothering um, the, the the profession. But yeah. Any other business? I've got something. What is it with Premier League football kits this year? They are awful. And the worst, beyond any doubt, I'm sorry, Rob, is the Wolves' third strip, described in the Telegraph as an insult which defies reason. And before you start, Neil, the Liverpool away strip isn't much better either. They're all terrible. Um, football fans, my advice would be to go retro uh, because the kits this year are are terrible. Uh Neil, would you care to respond to that? Well, I'd, I'd be rude not to, Richard. I think, I think our, our, our away kit is uh, rather nice. I, I like this one. It's a bit of a sea blue with a bit of a... It, it's very elegant, I think, our away kit. The, I agree with the Wolves one, though. The problem with our um, second strip, which has been widely... And the fans don't like it, is the kind of weird white patch on the front on the front of it. So there's this weird... Uh, look at it. Look, at, look, look it up. It is weird. It's a kind of a blue and white concoction. I mean, we don't normally play in blue. I was saying to, I was saying earlier, the only good thing about having a, a kit that's like that is that since um, Watford and Norwich both got relegated this season, we might not actually end up wearing it very often. So that's at least a thing. We're all concentrating in Wolverhampton on our um, on our learning Portuguese because if anybody who follows football knows that we are increasingly a Portuguese club. So. Benvindo a Wolverhampton, obrigado por se juntar a los lobos. I say to the three new, the three new signings uh, we've had so far this uh, transfer window. I hope I pronounced that right. Compl- compl- complaints to Richard on Twitter about my accent. <laughs> Any, anything else? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll have to defend Novak Djokovic. Haggle, haggle. Defend Novak I, Djokovic. Um, I, absolutely, yeah. I, 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 Look, I mean, this will be good. Go on. Well, look, I mean, you get you get in every probably millions of times in a year in tournaments all over the world. You get a bit of frustration on the call. You get players hitting the ball away. You know, usually it doesn't hit somebody, but you know, Djokovic meant to just hit the ball away. It unfortunately the trajectory of it flew into the poor lion's lady's neck. It wasn't deliberate. It, it, it hit was, her throat. Or hit her throat. Yeah. But it wasn't she was collapsed in a great deal of distress. I thought she made a bit. Of, I think she. I thought it was a bit of play acting, actually. To be honest, I think she was great. Remember that? Do you remember the uh, the, the the Rivaldo in the World Cup where the ball hit his leg and then yeah. he kind of rolled over holding his face? I think it was a little bit of that. To be honest, I kind of dollar she, she made a meal. Yeah, she, she, she made a meal of it. Yeah. She was all right about two 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 yeah. seconds later. Don't they go at like you know seventy miles an hour or something? <laughs> 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 
exactly. <laughs> but I thought it was a bit, yeah. a bit harsh to reject him from the tournament for that. I, I thought that was a very, very uh, bad that, US Open uh, officials. But, that, yeah. them, them are the rules. And, uh, and Tim Henman got, got checked out very early on in, he did, in his he, career. He, 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 he did. Well, similar. So quite, you know, quite right. True, true. Uh, Djokovic has been uh, uh, behaving very oddly the last couple of years, and is uh, that that was not a great episode, Neil. I, I, no, it's I, I don't agree with you there. <laughs> um, Arthur, who's, anything you've seen? Um, well, I did like the government saying, you know, the withdrawal agreement was signed in a rush, so therefore it shouldn't stand. I mean, I look forward to sort of using that line of argument and. <laughs> You know, over the course of my adult life. So. Well, for your next for your next news story. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, had to rush it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the government, of course, now advocates breaking its own laws. Rob, anything uh, that caught your eye? Uh, well, I hesitate to say this, but if you really want to see, you know, passion in the representative, have a look at Jess Phillips yesterday in Parliament talking about talk, trying to pin down Gavin Williamson about exams. Uh, it's absolutely. It's two minutes long. It's absolutely masterpiece you just get the frustration of um both an mp and a mother concerned that not much is do- being done about making sure that this kind of mess that we've had this year doesn't happen next year uh, and actually taking the the secretary of state for education to task for spending more time questioning what the labor politicians might have said rather than actually taking responsibility for the mess his own department ended up with but it's a great takedown. Well worth a watch. I will have a, I will have a watch. She's normally very good value. And uh, yeah, and that quite right too, because it's been a, a complete mess. And I think that's a really good way uh, to end the pod, actually, this week. So my thanks, as always, uh, to Rob, to Neil and to Arthur. The pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. But for now, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again next week. Very good. Very good. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah.